The Clean Power Hour is brought to you by CPS America, the maker of North America's number one three-phase string inverter. With over six gigawatts shipped in the U.S., the CPS America product lineup includes three-phase string inverters ranging from 25 to 275 kW. Their flagship inverter, the CPS 250-275, is designed to work with solar plants ranging from 2 megawatts to 2 gigawatts. The 250-275 pairs well with CPS America's exceptional data communication, controls, and energy storage solutions. Go to chintpowersystems.com to find out more. Welcome to the Clean Power Hour Live, December 1, 2022. The year's almost over. How are you, John? Oh, Tim, what a great question. You're you're laughing there because you know I got a lot going on and I'm terribly stressed about so many things. Uh, oh, you're doing okay, year. man. You're still breathing. You're still breathing. Still breathing. Still, still breathing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's end of year. There's lots of things going on. I, uh, you know, solar projects have challenges. Um, you know, just taking on probably a little more work than I should uh, outside of solar construction and just trying to do as best I could, but the world is busy, man. And it's the end of the year. And sometimes modules don't show up. Sometimes panel boards don't show up. Sometimes disconnects get delayed for a third time, Timothy, two disconnects delayed for a third time, Timothy. Uh, so it's uh, just stresses. Got to take care well, of customers. I hope, I hope Santa's listening and, and he's going to bring you some discounts <laughs> for Christmas. Is that within Santa? Is Does does Santa Claus have solar disconnects, AC and DC disconnects within his scope of deliveries? Uh, I think he does. Deliveries? I think he does. That's, that's what Santa does, dude. Uh, uh, I, uh, I hope he's, I hope it's real. I was, so I, I, you know, we'll digress a tiny bit. I did Thanksgiving with the family. Um, had about 18 of us together. It was really nice. And I had my brothers, four little kids there running around. And, uh, and there was a discussion about whether Santa Claus was real. And uh -oh. it was, uh -oh. Uh -oh. yeah. And uh -oh. the, the eight-year-old was telling the five-year-old, that stuff is fake. Oh. And then the five-year-old was like, I already knew it was fake. And it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we do. We start lying to our fellow humans at an early age uh, and um, <clears throat> fake news is real, right? Like that is it's that store that that ability we have to fool ourselves is very deep. And we do it around a lot of things, not just Santa Claus. Um, we think we think solar projects are going to close when. The probability of them is pretty low sometimes. Oh, wait, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. Uh, the, li yeah. the life of a salesperson, Timothy. The life of sales. It's good. But, uh, there are crazier things happening in the world than disconnects not not showing up. Um, yes, our friend Elon Musk has, I think, broken the the uh, the land speed record for Crazy Town <laughs> with his yes. shenanigans with Twitter, and uh, you know, going to war with Apple and. Uh, then kissing and making up with Tim Cook yesterday. I was glad to see Tim Cook held out an olive branch to uh, to Elon. Um, but as we were saying, also, you know, these guys live in in the Matrix, and and I think I think they think it's kind of entertaining, right? And and um, we're just we're we're just pawns. But uh, or or not, you can choose to to uh, to you know go off the platform and and not watch the shenanigans. Um, I, I, I tell, I tell my friends and family, I, I went to visit my family over Thanksgiving too. And 
my sister-in-law likes to give me a hard time. She goes, so how's that? How's that Elon working out for you? Because <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Tesla, Tesla investor, Tesla fan all the way. I do believe in Tesla. And we're going to talk about the semi here in yeah. a second. I think the Twitter play is all about making more money to go to Mars or making more influence to make more money to go to Mars. And he doesn't like to talk about that because that sounds crazy to most people, not to you and I. We understand that mission. It's not complicated, actually. It's just a mission to go further than we might go as a single planet species, right? We'll go further if we go to two planets. Um, will we go to three or four? Hmm. It's going to be very hard to go to two. It's going to be very, very expensive. And that's why Elon is trying to make money um, with things like Neuralink and Boring Company. And, you know, right. And he is a genius, but he's also crazier than all get out. Um, and, they, you know, I, I get it why advertisers want nothing to do with him. He's crazy. Letting, let, letting Donald Trump back on the platform is a horrible idea. Uh, it's a private company. This BS about, oh, we're going to save free speech. That is a bunch of BS. I'm sorry. Twitter can't save free speech any more than you or, you or I can, John Weaver. Yeah. I, I've, I've lost a tiny bit of energy. You know, I used to post significantly to Twitter and I've lost a tiny bit of energy, a decent amount of energy, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just, it's affecting my it actually has a, a knock-on effect because usually my reading of the news gives me good energy because I'm like, oh, look what I just found. Look at this little inf information I just found. Let me share it with the people who are also interested in solar news. And I've you know worked hard to get a bunch of them on Twitter. And there's lots of people who want to know about solar tech, solar news, solar prices, hardware, manufacturing. And this little dance has affected me to some degree. It's not, you know, it's, it's just affected me. It's got a. It's 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 in my head. Um, some of the some of the things that Musk does, some of the people he associates with, some of his political opinions. I I disagree with his categorizations of just of how the political spectrum has been displayed on Twitter. Um, there's plenty of research that shows different. Uh, political ideologies being pushed in different volumes on Twitter as a result of the algorithms. And, and it's, it's, you know, he says things, he doesn't say things that are necessarily the truth. He doesn't say things that are necessarily going to happen right away. He is there to troll the world and get people to pay attention because he saw that Twitter was profitable during uh, Donald Trump's first two years. That was the first time Twitter was ever profitable was mm -hmm. during Donald Trump going nuts on Twitter. And then as Donald Trump, people realized he was an absolute freak, Twitter numbers, Twitter profitability went away again. So I, you know, it's, it's a platform for communication amongst people on the planet. And it was a pretty good one. I hope it holds on good, but I do definitely see people reacting differently to it. And I do feel my energy has changed. Um, Similarly to how my energy changed with Facebook when I, I used to mm -hmm. really enjoy sharing, yeah. uh, you know, I, I when, science. when you learn, when you learn that the leadership of a company are not necessarily looking out for your best interests and really just trying to make money, um, 
that changes things. And, and, you know, if it was only money, if it was only money, I would have been okay with Facebook, but Facebook got into politics and went aggressive manner. And they sold our information for nefarious purposes to people with nefarious purposes. Like that's not cool, man. Yeah. Um, So have a little respect. Uh, so anyway, let's talk about semi day though, or yes, whatever they're calling please. it. Right. There's please. a, there's, there's an electric semi in America. Now it's real. It's going to start shipping next year. No. Nope. And uh, today, Oh, they're going to actually deliver I, some to customers today. I, if we, so I did put a link on there for Canary media uh, on our document to talk about it because today is semi day for Tesla and they will show it off. But I, I'm almost certain that Pepsi Cola will get uh, a Tesla semi. Uh, maybe it's going to go today. Maybe it's going to get sent next week, but, but it's coming and it's, and supposedly it's real. So not next year. I think Pepsi's getting the first ones now. So if you scroll down a tiny bit, uh, you so might... the battery powered behemoth with up to 500 mile range is the first semi designed for the start to be from the start to be electric. Musk says it's super fun to drive. Well, yeah, of course it is. It's a, it's a Tesla. Semi. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Here we go. So right there, um, Tesla. Um, by the end of the year, expects to deploy 15 by the end of this year. Okay, so maybe by the end of the year before next year. Well, look at that, though. Renault delivers an electric semi to Coca-Cola. Interesting. Yes. And the, one of the following articles I'd like us to look at is that Volvo delivered the first uh, large truck that's made out of fossil fuel steel. Fossil and fuel free steel, you mean? False, yes, pardon me, pardon me. Fossil fuel free steel. So, so this is cool. Um, the biggest reason that this is good is pollution. Um, these yes. uh, more pollution and more. Um, uh, fossils are used by trucks and large view vehicles by far on a per uh, unit basis than cars. In fact, I sometimes occasionally, I'm like, ah, I wish I could better optimize the use of my electric car so that the batteries are used more so that we don't waste this piece of hardware. And the fact that a, <clears throat> you know, these trucks are going to get hundreds of thousands of miles per year, per few years. I think they said three years, 750,000 miles. Um, that means that they're going to be offsetting a significantly greater amount of fossil fuels, air pollution, uh, climate change effect. And that's just awesome. And it also seems like hundreds of thousands of dollars of savings, you know, 200,000 bucks every three years. That covers the cost of the unit. Uh, somewhere in the article, it says the, the units are 150 to $180,000 per semi. Wow, if you can save that much in fuel uh, yeah. in three yeah. years, then you're done. That's right. that's pretty nice. And Cash uh, positive in three years, uh, that will that will inspire people to buy these things for sure. Yeah. Um, the bottleneck is not, uh, uh, you know, these stats are great. Zero to 60 in 20 seconds. That's three times faster than a diesel truck. Uh, drivers are going to love that. They'll get further faster, right? They, they want to deliver the goods. They want to get on. Uh, you know, it's, uh, my cousin is a truck driver and, you know, he's constantly complaining about the ride and how <laughs> uncomfortable and slow. And, uh, it's, it's just not, you know, it's not a great experience for these drivers. Um, so 
The bottleneck, though, is getting enough of them built, right? Manufacturing um, and batteries. Um, I had a very interesting conversation yesterday with a company called Alsim, A-L-S-Y-M. Check it out. They're making a aqueous battery with manganese as the primary ingredient, not lithium, a completely lithium-free chemistry um, that they claim is going to be good for transportation uh, and stationary storage. I'll believe it when I see it, I guess, right? But um, <laughs> but they're, they've got pre-orders from EV makers, uh, one in India. So anyway, uh, it's nice to see the, the storage ecosystem diversifying, right? We need more than just lithium iron or lithium cobalt or whatever. Um, cobalt, got to go bye-bye. Cobalt, no good um cuz it's just concentrated in places right where there's slave labor basically um <clears throat> the congo that's, isn't it that's changing though um uh, you know it's we're we're finding we're we're starting to mine cobalt in other places where the volume of the percentage of cobalt that's coming from congo is 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 going down but at the same time uh there are already lithium uh phosphate batteries in cars which don't have any cobalt uh the car doesn't have as high of a range but it's already happening and most stationary energy storage to the best of my knowledge has zero cobalt so you know it's only yeah, of the course high- there's there's cars. multiple m- multiple ways to skin this cat um and uh yeah cobalt is there are workarounds right and oh yeah and so that's that's good um all right well let's talk about Megawatt class hydrogen fuel cell powertrain. Ooh, interesting. Sure. For an airplane. Uh, and I just thought it was cool looking. Flying, I mean, that was... flying hydrogen power plants, right? <clears throat> yes. So this plant, I believe, you know, I found it on LinkedIn. It's a megawatt facility. Uh, I guess it's a fuel cell, but the fuel cell drives a jet engine. And it's for a 40 to 50 passenger plane. And just looking at the units, cool. You can see it's it's in pretty much a structure of an airplane, probably not a flying airplane, but you can tell that what they are trying to create there in that image yeah. is, you know, you can see the the wing and everything. Um, and it's yeah, quite an image. Uh, I mean, it looks like a it looks like a, a an airplane engine, um, which makes yeah. sense. It is designed well, to be an airplane engine. Um, yeah, I mean, they have an airplane surrounding it with wings. It's probably a test facility somewhere. And attack. this is actually a conversion kit. And they're trying to turn a regular airplane that burns fossils into a hydrogen power. Well, how does that work, though? Because a fuel cell produces electricity, John. Well, the electricity can turn all these different components because... If you well, have electricity would drive an electric motor. Are you saying there's an electric jet engine? Is that you can make a jet engine that's electric? Well, first, I'm going to respond with something I don't know anything <laughs> about, but aren't all John engines... Weaver, aerospace engineer. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> I think you have another career in, in, in your future. John. No, 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 no. <laughs> I barely got one. I got too many right now. I was focused on some solar. Um, I, I always assume that when the oil and the fuel is burnt somewhere, it's generating electricity. Because in a car, you burn fuel, it spins, uh, you know, you, you start spinning your pieces, you have your alternator, you know, all that stuff is 
Yeah, I guess I guess it doesn't actually need the electricity, but you know, we have the ability to spin a turbine with hydrogen. We have the ability to spin a turbine with fossils. We have the ability to spin it with electric. If yeah, this I'm just trying to understand be... the fuel cell play here. I, 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 I hadn't heard that you can make an electric jet engine. A jet engine is like fundamentally a fossil fuel device, but it's, it's cool, man. We don't have to, we don't have to answer fuel that question. Cell you, our train. listener, might be able to answer that question. And before I forget, check out all of our content at cleanpowerhour.com, cleanpowerhour.com. Give us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify, please. Uh, a review would be amazing. Uh, give us a Christmas gift uh, with a review on Apple or Spotify so others can find this content and help us speed the energy transition. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel. So uh, anything else about hydrogen fuel cell? I mean, I think hydrogen for long distance uh, air transportation is going to be a thing. Clearly, batteries are not going to be a thing for aircraft. It's just the, you know, mm. they're too heavy. And uh, but hydrogen could work. Yeah, I, I well, I mean, we already have some electric aircraft, very small ones. And there's people in the and I saw the first flying electric Learjet type item. So there are some jet engines that are um, electric in the world. And we've seen them. And there's actually you can actually buy an electric vehicle or an electric airplane. Well, I don't know if you can buy one, but you can test one or you can put an order in for one. And I've even seen that there are hundreds of electric airplanes ordered uh, when I saw something being covered by Bloomberg recently. Oh, yeah. So, 200 mile well, range aircraft are are definitely going to be a thing. You know, so for regional, that's wonderful. It's just, it's just the transatlantic gets, it gets difficult. Um, As I've, that's my read. You know, time will tell. Time will tell. We're we're early in it. I'm I'm hopeful. I believe that once we and I've I've seen some people say once we get up to about 400 watts per kilogram of electricity of usable electricity from batteries, some have suggested that uh, that's the beginning number for electric large airplanes to to be useful. So. I, and, you know, there's always the potential that we could make the batteries into the structure of the airplane. Now, of course, airplanes are super light, super thin, ultra optimized. So maybe there's not a lot of structure to be a battery, but I don't know. I, yeah. I'll never say no. I'll never say never because I've been wrong so many times over and over and over. Sure. I mean, so you think about things. these pouch batteries, that's the thing, these pouches. So there's two form factors for batteries, basically, right? They're cylinders or a variation on a cylinder. You know, some of them are octagonal or hexagonal. And then there's pouches. And you could make the surface of the aircraft out of a pouch, right? Okay, you need a surface, you need a structure. So yeah, could do. Um, but there's a million reasons why it might not work, but all right. we need is all we need is it to work once, though. And somebody will, I think, somebody listen. The aliens that are visiting us are definitely not using fossils. They might be using fusion, though. So, uh-oh. yeah, uh oh, there's aliens among us, John. What do you think Elon is? <laughs> well, yeah, he has pretty much said as much. Oh, <clears throat> yes. Him and him and Kanye are definitely aliens. Um, 
I, so I before think... we before we jump beyond, well, you know, Kanye and Elon. Ah. This is like the transportation edition of the Clean Power Hour. Uh, do you want to talk about Volvo and their green steel? I don't quite understand what Volvo is doing here, but totally, totally, yeah. yes. Really? I just want pe- I just want to show people the truck and say that this is a truck that's made out of zero fossil fuel steel. We started making steel, I believe in Sweden, about a year ago. And this truck right here has no fossil fuel steel in it. It's just a standard truck. And it, well, it's, it has steel. There's no difference between it. And it might and even be an electric, electric truck, right? That's an electric truck, yes. So, so, so Tesla got beat to the punch, though, for the, for the semi, right? By Volvo and... What was the other one? The other European maker that we mentioned earlier? Renault. Uh, Renault. Renault. Yeah. Renault. Oh, pardon. Uh, Renault. The little known French company that doesn't sell cars in America, but anyway, big, big player. Um, I they also got, they also got beat to the pickup, the electric pickup by everybody else too. So they, right. you know, they made a it's couple a, of it's announcements. A, it's, it's a, they're weighing their, you know, right. They're busy making threes and Ys, and the Y mm-hmm. is now the most popular electric vehicle in most of the world, and will soon be the most popular car, probably bar none in America. I'm, I predict. Yeah. Um, super, super. I, I've been watching. I've been following you on Twitter, so I hope you don't go off Twitter just because it allows me to know what the hell John Weaver's up to in the world. <laughs> and yeah. you had some charging challenges over the holidays. I know. Yes. Yes. And that is my, that is my concern, right? Is that your, your experience is going to get, and, and you're an early adopter, right? So you're willing, your pain tolerance is way higher than the average consumer. Yes, it is. And the average consumer is going to go, Holy crap. Ola all these broken chargers that aren't working or trying taking 15 minutes to get it to start who has 15 minutes to to plug in. Come on. Now this doesn't occur on the Tesla supercharger network. That's right. That's, that's a key piece. When I used, you know, I had Tesla for a year and a quarter and every time I plugged in things worked, I can't remember feeling like things ever didn't work every single time plugged in, click, boom, gone. You know, now it's a little more complex. And for instance, the Electrify America, um, it charged wonderfully the whole time. There was one or two times when it was a little slow. Could have been because of the cold and that my car doesn't have a battery preheater. But it it had some challenges. And, um, you know, people are going to want to deal with it. But seeing things like semi trucks on the road Mm -hmm. is going to motivate people. Like, And for instance, this Volvo vehicle. The coolest thing about, there's two cool things. One, the steel was made from hydrogen. The hydrogen, I don't know how the hydrogen was made. Probably not via clean electricity yet, but we're working on it. Mm. Uh, And then the vehicle itself is electric. So, I mean, that vehicle from Volvo represents something, the next stage, the next thing. More so yet, as of yet, than the, um, uh, the semi that's being launched today by Tesla, more so than by Renault and their cool thing. Not as big as the launch of the Model 3, because the launch of the Model 3 was a start, really, of the modern electric vehicle taking off. Maybe the Model S or, or Y, actually, or X and the Y. But um, so it's, you know, this is going to happen fast or faster than many of us think. Um, we're going to see a lot of electric cars 
we're gonna have to fix that infrastructure. And I'm a pusher yeah. of it. You know, I just drove 350, 400 miles, took me two charges because I always, you know, I had the heat up. I go uh, 60, uh, 72 miles an hour. Um, I probably could have got there on one charge if I was ultra optimized, but I pulled over and slept. But I had multiple times where I pull up to this charger, I plug in my electric, uh, my um, Electrify America, and it says my automatic payment wouldn't work. And so I had to call in, had to manage the process, mm -hmm. reset it. And when I, I'll tell you this, so for their credit, the units did charge if I just plugged in. So if I showed up and just put my credit card in, pulled it out, it charged just fine. But I'm on a free account because I bought the car and got two years of free charging. So it's actually the verification of my free charging that was the issue with this. Yeah. So no it's excuses. those, they should yeah. work that out. They should work that out for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully I, the, hopefully the IRA legislation is, is going to, you know, augment our electric electrification uh, ambitions. And um, are we going to talk cool. about that? Are we going to talk about the grid upgrades? I don't know. I, I haven't had time to review the docket, but. Um, I don't mention it, but we could mention the fact that Bloomberg came out with a sweet headline that said electric semis will pull as much electricity as a small town. <laughs> so there's going to be megawatt right, chargers right. and a megawatt. That's like. You know, a house is one to two kW at any time. That's five hundred to a thousand houses. You know, that's well. And you think about the set, the Tesla charger network, John. Great network, but it's not designed for semis, right? So, gonna be whole different, whole different sets of hardware. You're gonna need. You're gonna need different. You're gonna have to put those chargers in the truck stops where there's lots of space for truck parking, et cetera. Right. So there's room because these things are big. They've got trailers. My goodness. Right. Mm -hmm. they're, they're trailering a 40, what? 40, 40 plus to 53, foot. 40 to 53 feet. Right. Oh yep. my God. Yeah. We got to build a lot of charging infrastructure. I saw totally, a totally doable. I saw a, uh, an analysis from, uh, I can't remember which utility, but they said they're looking at truck truck stop charging. Um, I mean, they must see an absolute bounty in revenue from charging trucks versus the oil people getting it. But one of the first things they're going to look for truck stops is to put them in locations where they don't have to upgrade the substation, where there's a power line that's big enough, or where they don't have to build a new substation, where there's a power line that's big enough and it can take one, two, three megawatt uh, demand from that existing spot. So there, so there's people doing hard work, hard analysis on where to place these units. And there's some ideas starting to bubble up from these utility groups who are trying to figure out how to optimize the first round because later on, we're gonna run out of spaces and then you're gonna have to start upgrading and building substations and you know, building a substation is a couple million bucks and you know, connecting to the big grid, that's a lot of cash. So it's, It'd be interesting to watch how they do it. Um, interesting to watch a lot, but but it's coming. It's coming hard right now, and uh, and you know the grid's gonna. You know, I, I did a site visit yesterday with a home builder um, on the Cape of uh, Massachusetts, and we were talking about you know he has a small solar project on his building already, 
and he wanted to add a new one to, for the rest of his roof. And he said something to me at the end of the conversation. He goes, listen, you know, this first project is great. It's chopped off our bill by 20%, but our electricity still keeps going up. And I said, yeah. He goes, and, you know, even if the, the cost of fuel falls from the solar or the wind or or the price of gas falls, and, you know, he, he seemed to be conscious of those things. He goes, they're still going to have to upgrade the grid for all of these electric vehicles that we have to now um, – include chargers for in almost every house in Massachusetts. So it's becoming a code requirement in mass that houses have to be charger ready or maybe even have an EV charger already. And the grid upgrades are in his head as to why he needs to do more solar today is because he specifically said the grid upgrades are going to keep driving the cost of the grid because all these power lines are really old and da 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 He's a construction guy. He knows kind of what's going on. And grid upgrades are going to be a big thing. So maybe that's the next uh, next wave is to learn how to sell some copper. Yeah, this is – so what, what this sparks for me is that, okay, if you're a solar installer today, let's just talk about residential. <laughs> Tomorrow you're a battery installer and a heat pump installer and a – uh, panel upgrader, right? These these three things are going to have to happen on the vast majority of our homes, um, millions and millions of homes, and that's why solar installers need to think more long term. They've they've been in very one hit mode, right? We're going to get a customer one time, and that's it, and then we're done. And that doesn't tend to make them very customer friendly or really concerned even about the long-term viability of their products or their projects, but truly, and this is why I'm excited about Hyundai home. For example, I'm a huge fan of Hyundai. You're, you're living the Hyundai dream yourself, but they literally have launched a Hyundai home now because they see it. You're going to need an EV charger. Mm -hmm. You're going to need a solar array and a battery. And, um, and potentially a panel upgrade, right? And they didn't, they, they are not promoting a smart panel on their, on this website, but of course a smart panel would be a, a very good thing. Um, Cause if you want to be able to Island, right. Then you can dynamically control what loads, et cetera. <clears throat> uh, this is, this is a golden opportunity though, for installers, right? Today, solar tomorrow, really it's electrification of the home and transportation and everybody's going to need it. And it's just, so it's those, those forward thinking installers that are really going to get in the game and, and benefit from this. And, um, and Barry talks about this on, on the energy show, check out the energy show. That's one of my favorite all-time favorite podcasts. Uh, we're going to have to be picky and choosy. It's 1130. So uh, what, what is what is worth talking about? You know, the story about Germany pushing back against IRA incentives. Um, I don't understand that story. So if you want to talk about that, I'm happy high to level. talk about it. Okay. Yeah, high level. Um, uh, Europe. Well, what's the story? What's okay. the story? So the story is first that both Europe and Germany are, uh, they feel that the IRA has put their industrial base at a challenge when it comes to clean energy. 
specifically the incentives for EVs, which is pulling manufacturing to the U.S., the incentives for batteries, and maybe even solar panels, as well, hydrogen. All of these items are, of course, very important in IRA. And so one angle is, hey, the United States shouldn't do this. You guys should change your law. Now, I've seen multiple people say, nope, not changing the EV law where you guys are just going to have to manufacture in the U.S. This is a jobs program. Uh, Canada even expressed a little bit of displeasure with it, but I didn't really hear much about their displeasure. What I did hear, though, is that they simply passed their, their own version of the investment tax credit. And it now looks like Europe might do similar actions in order to you know, protect themselves from what they consider is, in essence, um, uh, just a big challenge for their manufacturing base. Uh, making And even the Australians have said the American hydrogen action might affect their ability to meet their goals with hydrogen. So it's, it's, it's interesting to watch people, uh, nation states who are trying their best to be good companies, to, to build up green energy, to manufacture. It's interesting to watch that occur and their reaction while we here are celebrating it because we're like, yes, we got great pricing. We're going to have a good deal. We're going to be able to install a lot of solar for a long time. I think Other people, you know, what this stinks up to me, John, is big companies influencing politics. It's like Europe is trying to be somewhat protectionist now about manufacturing, right? Because they're afraid manufacturing is going to get pushed to the U.S. Come on. It's like it's a both end, right? There, There's going to be so much demand for electrification of transportation, batteries, it, grid infrastructure, et cetera. And this is, this is, this is just, uh, this is just friction for the energy transition. Right. And, and this is why capitalism is, a, is a ultimately a very flawed model. It, it generates wealth. Yeah. But it also generates friction when you're trying to make a transition like this, right? Uh, it can gum up the system very, very quickly. Yep. It's, a, it's a lot easier to slow stuff down and break stuff than it is to build it and get it deployed. And we humans, for some reason, we don't really think a lot about this. You see the political crisis in the U.S., right? Like, it's a lot easier to cause a January 6th event than it is to have a functional democracy. And it's a lot easier to have crazy town happening on Twitter than it is to have functional dialogue. Um, you, you, you take a piece of paper and you set it on fire and it'll just burn, right? But making that piece of paper, super hard. Burning it into ashes, super easy. Um, that is the analogy. And we have to think about this with the energy transition. We have to become much more intentional and step back from, well, we just, we want to make money. Making money is easy, actually, in the greater scheme of things, because sunlight is super abundant and the earth is full of natural resources like soil and gold and lithium, right? We have all the resources we could possibly dream of. And yet we're stuck in this caveman. Oh, I want it. And I want you to not have it. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be the end of us. Yep. 
So it's, it's complex. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's complex. I, I get it. And, you know, it'd be neat if we had an IRA that was specifically for uh, partners, people who we felt were fair, or maybe people in certain positive trade agreements. But I don't think that's illegal globally in like the World Trade Organization. But it would be cool if we could have like a Europe-US IRA or a North mm -hmm. America one with Canada and Mexico and everybody in Central America included as well. Um, so, but, but this is, you know, this is international politics and something to consider. So, but you know, the very next story that I have on the document is Q cell. So yeah. <clears throat> well, just a quick Q cell and a European consortium are coming together to develop a perovskite plus silicon solar panel. And they're pushing on it. They're trying Q cell is a South Korean company that was purchased from a German company. Q cell was the original it was bought by Hanwha, and now it's still, you know, still doing things in Europe. And Europe is pushing. You know, our friend Meyer Berger is still pushing very hard to get the European Union to get a 20 to 40 gigawatt per year manufacturing base of solar modules. So it's, uh, everybody's pushing. Everybody's pushing hard. And I, I, you know, I wish you could do the finger snap. Hey, let's figure out a quick solution to make all these challenges tie together and, and work nicely. But but it's 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 more challenging than that. Yeah, I, I mean, I like this story. I like the the next story about first solar also, um, and that Q cells is is getting in this. Uh, I I call it hybrid for lack of a better expression or tandem, right? Tandem, tandem, um, tandem is the technical expression. Um, silicon perovskite tandem cells. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And it's going to produce more efficient solar panels at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. And, and so you can get more KWDC on less space. And because, uh, you know, let's face it, a lot of buildings, you can't get 100%. You can't offset 100% of the load of many buildings because they're space constrained. And it's okay if you can go to ground, but you can't always go to ground. And, and so we do need more efficient solar panels. And, and of course, efficiency increasing to greater than 30% means that your price per kilowatt hour is going to be 50% cheaper because you're the same hardware that used to cost a dollar to produce one watt. You're now going to have, I don't know, 66 cents to produce that same watt of hardware because you will yeah. output, you know, 50% more from the same component. And that's, that's pretty significant. So I'm, I'm also a perovskite fanboy and the famous Jenny Chase of uh, Bloomberg, uh, NEF, uh, New Energy Finance. She's always like, it ain't real until it's a major manufacturer actually building them. You know, this is yet again, another research thing. So you got to take my uh, fanboyism with a little bit of grain of salt here. But uh but it is Europe, you know, it is, this is Europe working hard, moving forward on stuff. And, uh, you know, we could talk about more solar panels because I got a great announcement. The first time we have solar cells coming to the United States, uh, manufacturing for a decade, which is yeah, a big. story from Kelly Pickrell at um, Solar Power World, right? America yep, yep. will begin producing silicon solar cells for the first time in half a decade. Oh, Okay. Uh, what, what was happening half a decade ago that went away? Uh, I, I don't know that answer, but, um, 
maybe Suniva, man, not Suniva. I don't even want to bring their name up, but I don't know who was making a solar cells. Uh, maybe it was Solar World, because or or SunPower when they bought out Solar World in um, in in Oregon. Uh, that's that's my guess for the only person who's been making solar cells in the U.S. that have gone and actually yeah. gone into a solar panel. But this is Enel. This yeah. is um, it's a really nice product from what I've read about. I've never actually seen one of these panels in real life, but it's a hetero junction. Uh, solar module Enel or Anel? I I, I ah, would say Anel. Wonderful. It's an Italian company, right? Anel. Anel is a big Italian company, and uh, and and now they're they're vertically integrating though. Um, I I always thought they were a project developer uh, right, until I learned too. a year or two ago that they were a manufacturer as well, and it's like, huh. That's yeah, get that's this. true, true vertical right there. They're not the yeah. only they're not the only developer that thinks about making solar panels, right? I was visiting a, a company in Rhode Island that a little solar company, and they're thinking about making solar panels because solar panels are so expensive and they're so hard to get. Um, and it would be a game changer. And so I get it why a big developer like Anel would want to go into making solar panels because they're consuming so many of them, they may as well. Um, and now we have good incentives. So, uh, the, the industrial legislation does work. The IRA legislation does work. We're going to get three gigawatt capacity. That's nothing to sneeze at. Um, we're doing, we're doing around 20 gigs a year, right? So not yet. We're, we're aiming for 20 now. The United States is, uh, probably closer to 10 right now, maybe with all the, and with two thirds of that, half of that being, uh, uh, I mean, first solar. installations. Oh, installations. Yes. Pardon me. Sorry. Sorry. I thought you were saying manufacturing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing about 20. Yeah. <clears throat> and that number is going to grow real fast. That's that number is going to start increasing going forward really fast. It seems yeah, it's so. going to triple. It's going to triple in the next five years. I think, um, some projections like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of pricing, you know, just uh, for the first time in a year and a half, solar solar polysilicon pricing has started to come down. Started about two weeks ago, it's been getting projected. And now I'm starting to see the spot price coming out of Taiwan, the data showing that the price of silicon is officially coming down. And that's leading to the whole supply chain behind it also dropping. This is maybe the second or third week uh, in the link that I showed, and uh, it's still, you know, relatively high compared to what it was at our, you know, the lows in the early 2000s before uh, COVID hit. But for the first time, we see a lot of red in this chart instead of seeing green, and that's pretty cool. So come next year, we might see a nickel getting knocked off, a dime getting knocked off. Because we are going to be manufacturing a huge volume. Yeah. We're going to be manufacturing a huge volume of polysilicon. And and that's just that's just pretty nice. And you know, you can see it all across the board, pricing starting to start starting to slide downward. And this is cool. Double digit percentages. We like that. Mm-hmm. So, so that top one is the one that matters the most, of course. Polysilicon price. Yeah. Yeah. Because that feeds into everything else because it's the stock for everything else. Yeah. 
Um, two percent change. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's good. And this is the second or third week, or that we've seen downward progression. About a month ago, he said nobody wants to pay more. It looks like there's downward pressure. Everything was flat, and then boom, the very next week, pricing was down. Week after, pricing down. Week after, pricing down. So, so we should expect to see something like this going on. Maybe some bumps here and there, but we should expect polysilicon pricing and then module pricing to start coming down all the time over the next, uh, maybe for a whole year because, and maybe even for two to three years, because right now we are seeing solar module manufacturing capacity and polysilicon manufacturing capacity just go up, up, up. I mean, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, uh, globally by the end of next year, we expect 500 gigawatts of polysilicon manufacturing capacity to exist. And by the end of this year, we should be at 300 gigawatts of solar panel manufacturing capacity. And that's that's huge. Uh, I just saw a headline from Bloomberg saying that the US or the, the world may break 260 gigawatts installed, almost 50% growth over last year. That is a gigantic number. And, and where as we're supplying the polysilicon for it and growing that, we're seeing this price start to come down again. And so hopefully polysilicon leads to a glut again. You know, they, we always have these cycles where it's, you know, up and down, up and down. And, you know, maybe this is going to be the start of another downward cycle, which should be pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I just see it kind of like the weather. It ebbs and flows. And if it's going down now, just wait, it'll go up. But probably. But because, <laughs> you know, I mean, in the greater scheme of things, we are asymptoting on that cost adoption curve, right? When right. it comes to this equipment, the big drop has already happened. We're going to see some, some small, slow decline over time now, but it's mm -hmm. not going to be dramatic um, until there's some new radical breakthrough technology. And that could cause another uh, quantum shift, so to speak. Oh. Like like perovskite silicon. Why did we wait so long to do the John Weaver story in PV Magazine? Ah, there's so many different things to talk about, Tim. So You're many too different. Demure, things. John. You're too, yes. too demure. Yes. Yeah. So this is today, Timothy. <laughs> there's supposed to be an anti-circumvention uh, release uh, ruling on the Southwest Asian companies. Uh, um, well, the Southwest. Asian manufacturing facilities that are really, we know this, uh, Chinese manufacturing facilities in other countries. And today we may get, and we're supposed to get it, but we're supposed to get a ruling on whether or not these four nations and their solar panels that are coming from China should get another tariff. And some people are saying it could be 30 to 50%, which would make the utility scale product you know, gain on 50 cents a watt, which would pretty much knock it out of business in the United States. I mean, and, uh, and you know, this is my opinion on the fact that we shouldn't have a tariff. And I have a couple of bullet points so we can break down uh, what it is. Um, but it's, you know, it really comes down to first, we, uh, we want Chinese technology now. They're amongst the leaders in making quality solar panels. Globally, yep, yep. 
Seventy um, percent of our solar modules consumed in America come from Asia. Just so our listeners understand this, there's a good reason for that. We did not invest in manufacturing in the U.S., and now we're playing catch up. So, uh, so quality of product number two. Uh, well, scroll down a tiny bit more just so I make sure I follow the article. Number two, the IRA is going to push the cost of manufacturing panels below a dime, and. If the people of the United States are going to benefit from that cost being under a dime, then it's going to be required, this is just the way business works, that there's somebody standing behind these manufacturers giving them pressure to give good pricing. Because if they don't have to do good pricing, they're just going to be like, well, competition's at 51, let's go to 50. And if that's the case, then, you know, there goes the IRA savings. So I argue the Chinese need to be there to put some pressure on the U.S. manufacturers. Uh, the num- number three, we're about, or we, we say we need to get uh, almost a terawatt of solar installed by 2035. We need everything globally to support us. Uh, and for to cut off the largest resource globally of this product at this moment is kind of, a, it's going to spite ourselves. Um, Mm-hmm. And so we should be conscious. And then the last one I put out there is that, you know, from a political standpoint, it might be a good thing to keep pressure on China in a dynamic manner. First, we should keep the Uyghur protective um, uh, law in place so that anything that comes from Western China, which is tainted by forced labor, shouldn't be coming to the U.S. And second, maybe it's good to keep the mainland tariffs in place, not in order to help the U.S. marketplace, but in order to force China to go global with their manufacturing, which helps those countries where it gets moved to, and maybe even helps the world just by diversifying the supply chain. Because right now, China's zero COVID policy is kind of making a lot of business people nervous, can't get product. So those are my four reasons why I think what it's pretty good. What are Chinese workers going to do, though, if they're not, right, if they're not <laughs> manning Chinese factories? Uh, yeah. And, and it's not like China isn't, let's be clear, China is investing in foreign, uh, infrastructure, especially in places like Africa. Um, in, so, you know, anyway, I, yeah, I, um, it's a good story. I, 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 I'm anti-tariff basically. I, I think we know enough to know that tariffs are not the answer. Um, and, but I'm, I, I have a question. Hmm. You, you, this says that IRA is going to drive the cost of American made solar panels below 10 cents. Yes. Okay. And if I'm, if I'm a solar panel manufacturer taking advantage of IRA, building a factory, making cheap modules, there's going to be huge demand for those cheap modules. Get that. Why do I need competition from outside the U.S.? Because I've got competition from inside the U.S. Do we, if we, if that competition scales, well, no. You're going to have competition from inside the U.S. all at the same price point. 
everybody, because we know, listen, the truth is that everybody seems to collude in, in business. You know, there is, you know, the, the independent it is illegal, business. But it is illegal, but, but, but yeah, the, the market will equilibrate. The market um, will move to weird places where it's going to move. I don't know. Will what's it, a cheap, what's a cheap American solar panel today? Like what's the, what's the best American made panel? Uh, listen, the price it's the of 50s. Hon- it's in the fifties. Well, it used to be in the thirties until the price of international panels went up and they said, ah, you know what? Let's just increase our price to match the international product. That's what QCell did out of Georgia. Because I saw the price increase myself. We used to be able to get Q-cell modules in the 30s. Now mm-hmm. you can't get until the 50s. Mm-hmm. And that's because they said, you know what? The projects can sustain our increased price. And if until the industry really scales, I, I, how that's going to move forward, that's a big question. Are we going to keep sharing? Um, yeah, this is just a funny one. Uh, are we gonna are we gonna grow our base and are we gonna give good prices or are we just gonna try and maximize the revenue that we can make out of this? And if you're a cold-hearted businessman, you're gonna maximize the revenue. And that means you're gonna look at what's in the marketplace and you're gonna push your price up to just below it so you can sell your product. Or you'll try and match it and be like, ah, eh, it's American made. Or you'll increase it because of the domestic product requirements. So, you know, I think, you know, if you're a capitalist, you believe you got to have a foot on your neck pushing you to make you do better. And uh, I don't know. I I think we need pressure to be better business people. I think we always need some pressure to do better work. So sure. Competition, competition. Good. So we're going to wrap up with a O&M story. (laughs) Uh, Somebody has been growing some weeds in their solar array. And, um, you know, I did see, I was, I was talking to a, Yes, share the image. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> I was talking to a developer or an installer down in Florida, mm-hmm. and uh, flat-mounted solar is a thing down in Florida for a variety of reasons. Sun mm-hmm. is higher in the sky, uh, so flat works from a production perspective. But yep. you want lower wind load, right? You want to put yes. that stuff flat because the hurricanes are coming, and <laughs> they will blow your array off the roof if you don't mount it flat. I don't know where this project is. But uh, that is the downside. If you don't go on your roof then and check it out periodically, you're going to get a bunch of lovely, at least look like ferns almost. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It must be someplace tropical. Uh, Aloha. You don't know where this oh, is from? Hawaii. I guarantee you it's Hawaii because okay. the guy's company is says Aloha Solar. So, so that's that's my guess. You yeah, can probably click on his profile. Too, where, uh, high wind is a factor in Hawaii and they're, they're a warmer uh, in a warmer uh, latitude. Um, this guy looks like Gary V. He's the the, the Gary V of solar. Hey. Now check that one out. Look at that module. That Ooh. module kind of collapsed or Ooh, something that's, happened. That's ugly. Yeah, I've never seen that before. That's, that's you funky. Know, yeah, that's that's makes that's, me. That's really funky. Got to work hard, man. Got to take care of our. Uh, Got to take our take care of our gear. I wonder how old this array is. I don't know, man, but that's uh that's even a weird panel. What's the what's the edge of it as there's no aluminum frame? Yeah. I don't know what kind of modules these are. 
interesting stuff. So don't do that to your solar panel, folks. Don't let your uh, don't let your weeds take over because they will eat your solar installation. Apparently, <laughs> don't let your weeds take over. I love it. All right. Well, lovely episode. How can our listeners find you, Mr. Commercial Solar Guy? CommercialSolarGuy.com. That's the best place. We've got a contact us page. We're going to be doing a little work on our website, get a little more information up there, but that's really it. Commercial Solar and LinkedIn, of course, John Fitzgerald Weaver. I am uh, I am always sharing the stuff I write for PV Mac. Tim, that's what good. about you? Knock on your door. Hey, Tim, are, are, can people come to your new house in Illinois? Uh, yeah, sure. Come, come to uh, Champaign, Illinois. Visit me. I would love yes. to, uh, I'd love to meet more of my listeners. Um, you can find me at cleanpowerhour.com and uh, subscribe right there, right? There's a little pop-up here. You see all of our content. I had a great interview with Jeremy Kent. He is the Tim Montague of wind energy. He's doing behind the meter wind for industrial facilities. Great wow. story. And um, he's based in the Midwest and focuses on the Midwest. And that's, no, we have we have a lot of a uh, lot of good wind i know behind the meter wind you you, you don't hear much about it most nope. most solar installers look at it and go hmm doesn't pencil but uh jeremy's figured it out he's cracked the code he does wind ppas nice. and these are like one to one to five megawatt projects his minimum size is 1.5 megawatts so he's doing these you know industrial size wind turbines not not ginormous ones but anyway well for for ground based uh, turbines, it's like three to four megawatts is the larger sizes. So one one point five to two and a half. That might be you know that's still you know it's nothing like the offshore ones that are fifteen megs. But for ground uh, yeah. for ground based, uh, he's closish to the. Oh right, to the yeah. No, size. we have yeah. a bunch of two point five megawatt turbines here in Illinois. There you go. Uh, the yeah. first wave that hit here in the early uh, early mid two thousands twenty eight two thousand eight to twenty twelve. Um, so anyway, go to cleanpowerhour.com, please, yep. you know, subscribe. You can, you can click on Apple podcast or Spotify. You can listen on your favorite player. You can give us a rating and review most importantly, and you can learn about me. I did an interview with, uh, James McWalter on his podcast, the Carbotnik Ooh. podcast. And I, uh, tell my story and how I got into solar. And it started when I was 10. Um, it just took me 40 years to really smell the coffee and get into PV. Um, and I, uh, I say in the intro, uh, why I waited, I, I don't know. It's anybody's guess. Um, sometimes we're slow on the uptake, but, uh, but I'm here now. That's what matters. Um, so anyway, check it out. You can click on that YouTube icon right there. Okay. At the top. And that's how you find our channel and these live shows every Thursday at noon, Eastern 11 central 10 mountain nine pacific well thank you john i hope you have a great rest of your week and we will see you next week absolutely enjoy yourself as well tim i'm tim montague let's grow solar and storage take care the clean power hour is brought to you by cps america the maker of north america's number one three-phase string inverter with over six gigawatts shipped in the u.s the CPS America product lineup includes three-phase string inverters ranging from 25 to 275 kW. Their flagship inverter, the CPS 250-275,
is designed to work with solar plants ranging from 2 megawatts to 2 gigawatts. The 250-275 pairs well with CPS America's exceptional data communication, controls, and energy storage solutions. Go to chintpowersystems.com to find out more.